0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, January 8th, we are studying a new series here on Sharper Iron. Last year, we ended with 1 Corinthians. This year, we are beginning with 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, St. Paul gave a variety of instructions to the church in Corinth, to help keep their faith centered in Christ crucified and risen, and to help keep their lives focused on building each other up in love. The Christians in Corinth certainly took many of these instructions to heart, but false teachers plagued the church there, attempting to tear down what St. Paul had built. Reports brought to the apostle from Corinth convinced Paul that more teaching was needed, and so St. Paul wrote the epistle we know as 2 Corinthians. Today we will be introducing this epistle as a whole and studying the opening verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Oh, thanks for having me. So we get started today, Pastor workout. let's talk about this epistle as a whole, some of those matters of authorship, place, date, time, context, those kinds of, of matters. Let's we'll
1: start with with the author. Tell us a little bit about our friend St. Paul. Right, so this is the St. Paul, uh, and he starts off his letter by, by with the designation as he does uh, his other letters uh, as an apostle. Uh, and that's pretty important to understand. The man in his office, of course, this is the Saul convert to, uh, converted to Christianity Uh, following the um, uh, vision on the road to Damascus and Acts, uh, who then becomes one of these just um, pillars of the church. And um, not only that, but we know Paul to be be um, connected with this congregation of Corinth because it is part of his second missionary journey recorded in Acts 18. Uh, So he definitely... uh, bears that responsibility, has that close relationship, uh, not only um, uh, as an apostle of Christ church, but as one who was there uh, with them, uh, uh, with the gospel from really from the beginning. Um, so we see this, you see it in 1 Corinthians, and then you also see it in 2 Corinthians where Paul's really being a pastor to this church and kind of bearing his heart to them because he cares so much about the gospel but also about the saints in the church, uh, those who would hear the gospel. These are these are people. These are members of Christ's church, and he would have them to know the truth. And that really does kind of come out even in the first uh, uh, few verses of of, uh, of Second Corinthians. Now, as you kind of mentioned at the beginning, Second Corinthians obviously follows after First Corinthians. Uh, these letters of, uh, of of instruction and teaching for the Corinthian church, who. Really, the church in Corinth was in uh, kind of a unique situation where they were. Uh, Franzman, in his word of the Lord grows, uh, talks about external and internal um, uh, pressures in, uh, in Corinth, which contribute both to the, the letter that's written First Corinthians as well as then what, what follows up with Second Corinthians. But externally, Franzman talks about um, the church founding Corinth as a place where all the brilliance of Greek mind and all the vagaries of the Greek uh, will mingle with an influx of oriental religiosity to produce a moral climate, which even the Greeks found singularly uh, vicacious uh, or vicious. Uh, and, and, and the idea here is that they were, they were in an area with very much these external pressures of, 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 of false teaching of paganism and so on and so forth, but also of, of, th- of just thinking and thought. However, there was also this sense where you have in Acts 18 where Corinth is not a church that falls under heavy persecution at Paul's time, um, and if you look at um, Acts 18, you have this, um, this figure. When Paul goes there, he does stir up, stir up trouble with the Jews, but uh, in, in Acts 18, sorry, I thought I had it open there, but uh, in Acts 18... After Paul's in Corinth, then there is uh, Gal- uh, Galio, uh, who was the proconsul of Achaia. The The Jews uh, were you know, making a united attack against Paul. They bring him before uh, Galio, and um, Galio basically says, this isn't my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he kind of it, it serves to actually protect the Corinth church from persecution at that time by basically saying, don't mess around with with these If if this, this is a matter for yourselves, it's a question about your religion, it's not a state issue, so they don't reach this heavy persecution. So they actually find themselves in a bit of comfort in that sense. But that also leads to this, because we find that in the church, persecution and stuff doesn't, doesn't work in the book of Acts to, uh, to, to the detriment of the church, but actually to the strengthening and refining of the church. So I, it's one of the reasons some people think that that Corinth ran into all these kind of plethora of internal factions uh, and 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 issues uh, of of the need to repent, um, which which you do find uh, taking place there. So the Christian court uh, didn't endure those outside persecutions and never refined by that. So then they they kind of had all these issues that need to be addressed in First Corinthians, and then of course aren't fully resolved um, for the need to to have 2 Corinthians. And one of the big of, big points that you raised was the uh, as well was the. The false teachers or the false apostles that have probably were in there from the beginning as kind of an, a, another faction or group within the church in Corinth, but really kind of come to play in, um, in Paul's second letter to Corinthian, to the Corinthians.
0: Yeah, so those, those external and internal pressures that are facing the church in Corinth, a lot of that was very evident in 1 Corinthians. The matter of unity within the congregation was certainly very important, and the outside pressures toward immorality and idolatry both, right? all these things have been going on in Corinth. Paul wrote that first letter. As you said, he initially came to Corinth during his second missionary journey— We talked about last time that the letter we have as 1 Corinthians was written during his third missionary journey, likely from Ephesus. He talks about being in Ephesus toward the end of that first epistle. So with some of that context in mind, what kind of context historically can we say for 2 Corinthians in terms of where it falls in relationship to all that?
1: Right, so uh, it's—and then there's a little bit of— Uh, scholarly debate on whether this is taking place about six months or maybe a year and six months after, uh, kind of gets into some minutia about dating and stuff. But the point is, sure. it's it's not a lot of time that takes place between the two, uh, but several things have happened between between it, and and we get some uh, hints of that actually in Second Corinthians a little bit later from what we're going to study today. But if you look at Second Corinthians two, um. Paul says, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad, but the one whom I have pained? Uh, and, and so it might be that Paul did make another visit to them at that, uh, between the two letters, but we do know this, that he did send them a letter, and, and most agree that this doesn't uh, apply to, to, to um, 1 Corinthians, but to something that would be in between this, so this is in 2.4, four. Uh, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And so so the point being, I think, to, to kind of see is that that there was this time between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but it's not a time where Paul wasn't continuing to be active in the church um, uh, of Corinth and concerned about the church of Corinth uh, and, and and, and so he's relating to them kind of with this letter that would have caused them uh, anguish, uh, kind of a severe letter before he wrote 2 Corinthians. But, but Paul explains in 2 Corinthians that, that he's doing this for, for their good. Right. So this
0: is just to, to remind us of some of the things we talked about in the previous study of 1 Corinthians, the letters that we call 1 and 2 Corinthians are it seems, part of a larger correspondence and ministry that Paul has uh, with this Church, to the effect that there could be as many as four letters that he wrote to Corinth, and, and it's because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 he mentions a previous letter, which none of my guests had access to, <laughs> despite all my, my questions for them. No, nobody, we don't know what that previous letter all was in it, but it seems Paul wrote a letter before what we call 1 Corinthians, And then, as you indicated, there's an anguished letter that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which I think there are some scholars who suggest that that's referring to 1 Corinthians, but probably the majority think that it's another letter. So that perhaps what we call 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter that Paul has actually written to this congregation. But all of that is to say, as you, I think, rightly point out, What we see in all this is Paul has a very active ministry with this congregation. He loves them and cares about them and wants to see them remain in the gospel that he's preached to them.
1: Right, and not only with letters, too, but we'll see here with with also with uh, kind of his uh, emissaries, if you will, or ambassadors of those he sends out, Timothy, right? Uh, uh, um, In 1 Corinthians, he says that he had sent Timothy to them uh, in 1 Corinthians 4.17, and that he was going to send him again and 1 Corinthians uh, 16, so this idea that he's maintaining, even if he's not able to make the visits in persons, uh, through Timothy, through Titus, he's, he's continuing this close relationship with the congregation.
0: Yeah, and, and it does seem, I was remarking to you before we started, that in studying 1 Corinthians, I, I felt it really came, at least for me, it came together as a more coherent whole than it had in the past, and I think reading through it, you can see a lot of the context into which Paul is writing even if we don't have the full picture of these other letters and know exactly when the visits that he refers to took place, with 2 Corinthians, at least as I've, I've started to engage with it now, that picture of the context seems a little murkier to me personally. I'm having a hard time holding that context together and to, to see precisely what what Paul is, is looking at and talking toward, although I, th- I think I'm in pretty good company with that from what I understand from other biblical scholars, that that this is one where the, the context is, is somewhat, not lost to us, but it's just harder for us to, to pinpoint than it was with 1 Corinthians and some of the other epistles he writes.
1: Right, and this has led some scholars uh, in particular to, uh, or in general, to, to actually wonder if this is actually a unified letter. Um, I'm not one of them, and I don't think a lot of right. our Lutheran theologians and biblical scholars on this to really hold this to be one letter that's written, but it does kind of have... Uh, it's almost like Paul's writing. It, it kind of reminds me if you read through second Corinthians, it's like when you're writing something with a lot on your mind and you tend to not actually, you tend to go off onto, to something else. You know what I'm saying? That, that happens, I sure. think, to all of us. And, and, and so I think this is one letter that was sent, but Paul's definitely all over the place in a few areas about as far as what is he trying to relate to the Corinthians. And so it does seem a little bit more, um, I hate to say disjointed, but not really in a negative sense, but definitely he's trying to uh, say quite a bit. And, it, <laughs> and so there is a kind of a clear division in the structure that we that we see here, where there is kind of a chapters one through seven is kind of Paul going about his apostolic authority, uh, his ministry in Corinth, and then eight and nine. It's like the presentness, present, which a lot hold to be the real impetus for his letter is the we need to have this collection for the saints of Jerusalem in eight and nine. And then 10 through 13 is like all about coming to visit Corinth again, but then brings up a lot of other things about kind of vindicating his apostleship in the face of his opponents and the false apostles. So it's, it's, it's very, yeah, you're right. It's very different. It's not kind of a systematized look at problems in the church and how to address them as much as it is. I think really largely almost Paul bearing his whole heart to this congregation Mm -hmm. In such a way that he 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 knows the saints need to be cared for in Jerusalem and Corinth, the Corinth church needs to be part of this. He knows that there are those people trying to pull false apostles trying to pull uh, this congregation away from the truth of Christ. So he wants to uh, uh, make a defense of his of his uh, of his uh, apostleship, and also you know there, there's this sense where he even from the beginning of it. Uh, wants to wants the congregation in Corinth to be comforted in the midst of their afflictions. Mm. I, th- I do think that the difference in character between
0: the two epistles that we have is explained or understood by the fact, as you pointed out already, that we have an ongoing pastoral ministry here, so that if you think about the first epistle as one in which Paul addresses the matter of divisions and picks up different topics that they've written to him about a a lot of doctrinal instruction that has certainly uh, many applications to their life and practice as Christians. You can see the more methodical nature of that and the way that it ties together. And under, under one, one big theme, Christ crucified and risen, this is what we preach. But as the ministry to Corinth goes on and there continued to be these struggles, then I think, you know, Paul is a pastor it, you start to see, as you said, his heart come out for them particularly. And certainly the doctrine is all there. There's going to be a number of very important doctrinal sections with this, within this epistle. But you really start to see his pastoral heart in a way that I think makes sense for anyone who's been in an ongoing relationship in which you're you're teaching someone. So if you're a pastor with a congregation, or if you're a, a teacher with a class, or even parents with your own children, the way that your, your instruction and your uh, teaching of them Takes on different forms depending on how things have progressed and how they're going. I think I think it does all fit. It just seems that we're missing a few of those intervening pieces that we don't know the full story. And so it's at least for me, the Second Corinthians is a bit harder to figure out where it's coming from. But I think I think if I if I could see the whole picture, it
1: would make more sense. Right. One of my professors at seminary when we were studying uh, Pauline epistles did say, especially with you find it with with second Corinthians as you're really coming in the middle of a conversation. And, uh, it's, it's really difficult to, to kind of get a sense of, of what's going on. And it's even more than just kind of getting the context. It's just, you know, this is an intimate relationship that Paul has. It speaks to us and to the whole Christian church, which is why it's, you know, in the Canon. And, 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 right. and it does teach us these doctrines, but, um, We cannot fully get into the mind of Paul or the Corinthian congregation in such a way that everything is going to make sense. And we have to be careful then because we have to uh, teach where Corinthians clearly um, uh, teaches God's word. Uh, But we can can run into the uh, danger, which is what you find a lot of critical scholars doing with this text of, of really trying to get behind Paul and figure out what was going on behind Paul's mind in all of this. And, um, and really, a lot of that is speculation. Lenski in his commentary really does talk about, we have to approach this historically and, uh, and in an objective sense and not try to you know psychoanalyze Paul in, in all of this, uh, because Absolutely. then we're just dealing in speculations.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so since we don't have some of that context, and we do want to deal with it historically rather than speculatively, how do we, as Christians living in twenty twenty four, how do we take this and apply this today? Right. Well, I think there's the
1: universal truths that of, of sin and grace, uh, law and gospel, which which apply to to every uh, every saint of God, whether it's Corinth uh, in the first century or whether it's uh, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, in, in the 21st century. Um, and so that's where I really think that, yeah, we can definitely uh, get great comfort uh, from the teaching of Paul uh, to, the cor- to the church in Corinth in both letters. Um, and, and even though we see kind of some of these things manifested in new ways, it's, it's still the old same problem of the uh, selfish, sinful man uh, curved in upon himself. Uh, And it's ultimately then the same cross of Christ uh, that gives us the comfort, as we'll see uh, as it kind of gets to the end of our section here. Um, uh, We're comforted in the midst of all of our afflictions uh, with the comfort which comes from God. And that's a a universal comfort. It's a balm that um, uh, finds its way in healing all of our wounds, which really have the same source of the disease of sin. Um, but it's the, the same balm of, of the gospel. All
0: right, so with those introductory thoughts in mind for the epistle as a whole, we turn to the opening verses of this epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. That is our text for today. That is is Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Comfort is certainly an operative word in this section, Pastor Wergau. I, I lost count of how many times he uses it. But before he gets there, we have some standard standard things that we see in Pauline epistles, and indeed epistles from that time period, where Paul identifies himself as author, the ones he's writing to, gives a general greeting. Sometimes we easily skip over these things, but there's there's always material here that we need to pay attention to. So what does Paul say about himself in this opening verse?
1: Right. The, the first words are, are always very important words. Uh, the... The front matters matter, <laughs> and and I think that's you know that definitely to see here just starting off, of course with his name which identifies himself, uh, but it's even more than that. He really does give his credentials because it just goes right. Paulos apostolos, right? Paul, apostle. An apostle here, as I kind of mentioned, is really really significant uh, way to begin this letter, especially as we'll see later when he talks about the, we got the false teachers, false apostles, and so Paul really sets up. Both that he's an apostle, and we'll see what that means, but also he's not just any apostle; he's an apostle of Christ Jesus through the will of God. Um, and 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 so apostle is a sent one, right? We know we know of the apostles that they're the sent ones. Uh, it's it's more than just belonging to Christ, but as Lenski puts, it indicates the origin and agency that he's called out and sent by Christ Himself. Uh, uh, Lockwood in his First Corinthians commentary. Uh, talks about, makes, draws out kind of this connection between uh, apostle and the uh, shaliach, and you might have talked about that with your 1 Corinthians um, uh, 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 interviews on 1 Corinthians, but uh, he notes that this was a personal representative of another commissioned with a task which could take him to a distant places, according to the rabbis. The one sent by a man is as the man himself. And that's what's really important to kind of understand there. And that's, of course, what Jesus says in Luke 10, when he's sending out these apostles, the one who hears you hears me, the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so the idea here is this is how Christ works. This is how God works. The father sends the son, the son sends um, forth um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his apostles as his representatives for the teaching Uh, In preaching in his church, Uh, and Paul is one of those. Uh, Later, or in other places, he talks about him being, you know, least of the apostles, but still an apostle, right? One untimely born, but still one who's not—he's not writing the Corinthians because of his own whims or wishes, but because this is his office. This is his. This is what God has sent him to do, Uh, and and that's why he specifically talks about this being by the will of God. Uh, which he uses a similar language to open 1 Corinthians, that he's called an apostle of Christ uh, by or through the will of God. Um, again, Lenski comments on Paul's apostleship that it's not, in his use of this word, it's not accidentally by a set of fortuitous circumstances. Or, or this is important too, it's not a temporary thing. He's not temporarily mm-hmm. an apostle. And what's even more, he's not growing into this position. It's kind of a, you know, this is the idea that he's not like, and this really makes sense when we're talking about these other false apostles, that it's not like, like Paul's trying to figure out how to be an apostle. This is what he's declared to be uh, by God um, or through the will of God, by Christ, and this is, this is his authority, not something he has to earn, uh, not something he has to uh, uh, aspire to, but it's, it's who he is. Um, and, and with this idea of apostleship comes the idea of authority for sure, uh, especially in light of the divisions that are taking place in 1 Corinthians, the false teachings and false apostles, and, and what Paul has to address even in, in 2 Corinthians. He, he stands on this authority that doesn't come from him, but it comes through the will of God. It is of Christ. Uh, he's called to this position of teaching the truth of the gospel. But not only is it just on this Uh, blatant, just, uh, I have the authority to do this, but Lenski also ties this to Paul's responsibility. Paul's responsibility Mm -hmm. in his apostleship, that he is responsible for this congregation. Uh, He notes, Lenski notes, first of all, it's written with regard to Paul himself and expresses his own consciousness of bearing a most heavy responsibility with regard to the Corinthians. And this comes place, takes place other place where he talks about, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, right? He writes as one who feels this, this weight, uh, which Hebrews picks up in 13, when it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who are to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning so that that would be of no advantage to you. So not only does Paul as an apostle have this authority, but he has with that authority this great responsibility For the church. And drawing even from that is what we've already talked about. It's Paul's great um, uh, love for the Corinthian church. They all go together. uh, Authority, responsibility, and love all kind of hold together with Paul, really in that one word, apostle. Uh, This is what the, the apostles are, and this is what they're to be about. And so there's a genuineness to this, that that Paul's not just out here to do this for his own sake, he's not there to do it for his own gain, but he's doing this because this is his office, and this is what he has been called to do. Yeah, and I,
0: I think that's really important to set out, especially for this epistle, in which, perhaps more than some, Paul will talk, it seems, about himself a lot, and, and about that authority, so that we understand when he does that, he's not doing it because of some sort of pride within himself, but he's doing it for the sake of the ministry that he's been given, because he has this love for the congregation, and it is an authority and responsibility that's given to him by God. He speaks up in defense of it, not because of pride in himself, but rather, as he said in 1 Corinthians, it's a boasting in the Lord that he's doing.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and take our break and pick up more of this on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Sam Wurgow this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
2: Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members, and church workers alike make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, January eighth. We're studying Second Corinthians chapter one, verses one to seven with Pastor Sam Wergau. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, you were telling us about Paul, who is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In second Corinthians, he also mentions Timothy, our brother, as one of those who
1: is the author or gives greetings here. Tell us a little bit about Timothy. Right. So he gives a. Uh, um... He says, Is Paul an apostle of Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother? Uh, now uh, I think some have said that Timothy might be the um, uh, perhaps the scribe who's writing this, where Paul didn't write a lot of his letters, but I think Timothy is really important, especially being named here, uh, because as we mentioned a little bit before the break, um, uh, Timothy had a close connection with the Corinthian church as well, uh, kind of serving there, uh, um. Uh, uh, under Paul, uh, or in Paul's kind of stead, Paul sending Timothy to do that. Now, he's given the title brother, which is very interesting. Now, of course, we know brother to be uh, kind of a general term used for Christians, right? We're uh, brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. Uh, Christ is our brother because God's our father. Okay, good. So there, there's definitely this this relationship. But but Lenski points out, too, that there's this kind of this under surmise that, that by calling Timothy the brother, Paul's doing two things. First, he places Timothy in relief, places into relief the addition of his own name, apostle of Christ Jesus and brother, but he fixes the exact measure of responsibility for all that follows. His own relationship to the church is addressed as far more than fraternal, as will appear throughout the letter. So again, he's coming to them as an apostle with that authority and with that pastoral heart, which is different than just coming to them as a brother in Christ. So so Lenski thinks maybe he's holding this up as a relief. Timothy's the brother. Timothy's been with you and everything, but, but I'm Paul's, and I, he's going to have some hard words for them, and he wants them to be able to hear that. It's an apostolic letter. Paul's high and holy office is involved directly and completely in all that he is contained, that's contained in this letter. Timothy's office of assistant to Paul is not as involved. So it's kind Lenski thinks there's kind of a relief to that, to have Paul the apostle, Timothy the brother. They're familiar with Timothy. Uh, but they're going to definitely see that Paul's let, letter has this weight because of his apostleship. So then, in the
0: end of that verse, we have the recipients. We've got the church of God that is at Corinth, and all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia.
1: Right, and we glance over that church. That word "church" pretty quickly in Greek. It's the ecclesia, uh, ecclesia of God, uh, and, and so they're the ones that belong to God first of all. Uh, and the ecclesia means those who have been called out, called out of the world, called. Uh, by God. Uh, and we use, the, we use this term with the church now when we have like the explanation in the small catechism of the third article, the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, and so too has he called, gathered, enlightened, and sanctified the whole Christian church on earth. Uh, so they're the ones who from God have been called. Um, and so he talks specifically about um, the, the, uh, the, the church specifically, the ecclesia in Corinth. But then he also goes on to identify all the saints who are in this region of Achaia, um, which would have been a larger region of which Corinth was kind of the cent- center. Um, so, um, uh, which is important is, is we can take this a couple different ways. First is that they were supposed to not just keep this letter in their church. <laughs> so I think that's important right. to know. This was a word for a larger audience. Now it does specifically going to be, he's going to be specifically addressing issues that are in the church, right, that need to be addressed in this particular uh, congregation, this particular ecclesia in Corinth uh, that would probably not extend as specifically to the other saints. But, well, for example, like the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, that would involve the whole church. And the words and the teachings that Paul has for them in Corinth will also, as we kind of talked about at the beginning, apply to all these other congregations and saints because the base problem that every saint in Christ is dealing with is sin and our own sinful nature manifested in different ways. And so, yes, Paul's letter needs to be read uh, throughout uh, for these other congregations too, which is why it's still read in our churches today.
0: Yeah, pointing out that this would not have just been read in Corinth, but also in these other churches, I think is very helpful when we think about the role of epistles within the New Testament Church, for sure. And just the the thought of Corinth being a part of that larger Church, I think fits in well with some of the things we talked about in 1 Corinthians. You know, Paul's called them to unity already within their own congregation, but also within the wider Church. And in some of the practices that he addressed in that epistle, he would he would use a phrase, something like, you know, there are these practices in all the churches. So there is certainly a a more, it's a local letter, but also it has broader impact. And the mentioning of all the, the churches in Achaia here, I think, is, is significant in those regards as well. Then in verse 2, we get more familiar words from the greetings of epistles, and also words that pastors often pick up at the beginning of their sermons grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Right, so yeah, uh, there's different traditions about how to pa- how pastors maybe begin their sermons, but they typically have something that they begin their sermons with every time, very similar formula, which is good. A lot of times our minds can can kind of just, okay, that's what he's saying, but it also helps to build, I think it helps to build kind of a, uh, it ingrains it into our minds even, so that we can return back to it. So, so I'm always a big fan of saying the same thing to begin your sermon, whether it's the invocation or whether it's this grace uh, to you and peace, uh, uh, or how he says it here? Yeah, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Because those are just heavy, rich words, which is why Paul uses them here. Uh, They're not just like some fancy slogan or some cliche greeting Uh, But they're they're packed with it. And Lenski talks about he begins it with this because everything that he's going to talk about after this will come back to this these words, this way that he's going to greet this church. So he uses, first of all, uh, the term uh, grace, charis, which uh, uh, is the the divine favor. Uh, It's 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 what how God sees and how God feels towards this congregation. It's found in God's heart together with all also of the gifts that he gives. I mean, I know we use another cliche that we use, but right, the means of grace. It's the same grace. It's how God's favor is shown to us. Um, uh, so, so that's why he says grace, grace to you, to you all. Um, it really means, as Lenski puts it, may God and the Lord give you an abundance of these undeserved gifts. Right? And flowing from that grace then is the peace. Uh, and this denotes the condition that prevails when God is our friend uh, and all is well with us. we're We're in that favor with God. So so uh, Lensky makes a point about this as the order is always important. It's grace and then peace, because the former is the source of the latter. The grace is the source by which we have that peace. Without grace, there's no peace. But with grace, peace is a certain thing. Now that's really important to understand, as he's now going to talk about in just a little bit about affliction, and um, and comfort, affliction and comfort. It all really does tie together from the source of where this comfort is found and the grace and the, and the peace that comes forth. Uh, Lenski concludes that little section with, the greeting is brief, but the terms employed are in their combination so weighty. They have constituted the basis of the entire biblical and Christian theology. They were so understood when they were written and sent and when they were received and read. And I think that last line is really important. We rightly say, Paul Paul knew what he was saying, and the Corinthians knew what Paul was saying when he started grace and peace. They knew what this grace was, and they knew the peace that, that, that issued from it, and they just needed to be reminded of it again. But this is what they were catechized in. This is what the scriptures taught them. This is what Paul taught them.
0: So as he begins then the body of his letter in verse 3, he starts with a, a praise, a prayer perhaps, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort.'" And in good Pauline fashion, we keep going with his sentence, but a, we have a verse break. So let's, let's pause a little bit. Let's slow down in, in Paul's run-on sentences here. Help us into that verse. I love Paul's run-on sentences.
1: He needs an editor. <laughs> no, he doesn't really need an editor. It's all good. Yeah, he kind of starts with this verse 3, though, um, before he continues on. Um, is, is He's giving a confession of who God is. He starts with who God is, uh, and then he goes into what God's doing, which I think is a, just a wonderful way to... To, to, teach, to teach this to the Corinthians, this is definitely laid out very well. Um, so, so he gives this confession of who God is, and then in verse four, he's going to describe what God does. Uh, Lenski notes the very designation used with reference to God accords with the emotion expressed. All that follows is dictated, as, as begins in the presence of the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to start with the source. Uh, and, and, and it is a word of praise, it's an exclamation, it's praise. Blessed be. Uh, we bless, Lenski notes, because we speak, or we, or that is, we speak well of God because we're truly saying what he is and does in his attributes and his works. How do you bless the Lord is by, how do you praise God is by simply speaking, which means to speak well of, is speaking the truth of who he is and what he has done. Um, uh, and, and so that's what Paul's going to kind of do. He begins with this praise of it, speaking well of God. Uh, uh, and then moves into who he is, and then what what he's going to be doing. So all of the verse 3 onward is that blessing of God. Blessed be the Lord, because this is what he's doing. Mm.
0: Now he calls blessed be God, he calls him the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. What does this teach us about who God is?
1: Right, exactly. So I think you have you have three things here, right? First you have God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is probably the most foundational thing. Uh, just as when we were talking a little bit earlier when he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, we really bless God. We speak well of God by understanding that he is the father who has sent his son to be our Lord, <laughs> uh, you know, to redeem us, uh, to purchase and win us. That is, that is where we see the work of God. And flowing from that, then you have that he is uh um the father oh, and, and yeah the father of our lord jesus christ he's the father of um of of what's the word that's used there sorry i, I lost my spot the father, the father of father of mercies that's okay. mercies yeah yeah the father of mercies um the father of mercies and god of all all all, all comfort all comfort uh, and so this is uh, actually kind of echoes psalm 103 13 Uh, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Uh, That this is this idea of uh, the uh, tender mercies, uh, that he feels pity for those who are in distress. Uh, But again, that ties right back into how is that pity ultimately shown? Where is that comfort ultimately coming from? Well, it's coming because he's the father of Jesus and that he has sent the son and that. We've, and what we'll see here when we get to like verse, uh, verse five in particular is kind of the crux of all of it, which is seen in the passion of Christ. Um, uh, but he definitely just names God for who he is, how God has always been in the Psalms reflected. Uh, uh, we see it fully in Christ and, uh, and then related then to the Corinthian church.
0: Hmm so the so god is the father of our lord jesus christ he's the father of mercies uh, the the plural of mercies i think is probably significant too that this is an overflowing mercy uh, right. the fa- the most merciful father right that's mm-hmm. who god is and then he is the god of all comfort so comfort comes from him and it, and that then becomes the word that really is operative for the rest of our section today and we'll show up elsewhere in this epistle comfort so the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by god help us to trace the path of the comfort here yeah i
1: know we got this is this gets really interesting because you got comfort a lot you got affliction a lot and and so it's kind of parsing out all of this right so this is what god is doing now notice though to, to start kind of parsing this out and you know, almost draw a diagram for all of this when you see all these words used. You don't want to get confused with it. But first thing to notice is is that it, the source is always in God. The source of comfort is found in God who comforts. And that's kind of how he starts off. The one comforting us uh, in all our afflictions. All our afflictions. Now, the us here, I think, immediately is applying to Paul and Timothy. Um, but it's definitely bigger than that. <laughs> now, and so if we just keep it with Paul and Timothy and their afflictions, then we're 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 missing the point, I think. But um, but he Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the affliction that he's actually going for. Um, but it's going to extend then to the congregation. So we'll we'll get to that point as well. But he starts here with the first person plural, right? So us, uh, and how how we're we're uh. uh comforted by God in the midst of all our afflictions. Now notice we already had the uh, father of all or the God of all uh, comfort, and now you have another all, all afflictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so really the source says comfort's found in God, and, and it applies to universally to all these afflictions. All the comfort comes from God and is applied to all of, uh, all of the afflictions that we have. And, and Paul will later in Corinthians kind of go on to talk about these afflictions a little bit in, in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, <laughs> where he's, this is a, kind of a strange place where Paul, you mentioned earlier, it's almost like Paul's bragging about these things, but I think he's just clearly laying out what he's been through so that they can understand, listen, he hasn't had it easy and, and, and he's not like, poor me, but he's saying this is the afflictions that we face. Uh, and, and he talks about in eleven twenty three through 29, he talks about all, all these sorts of things. Um, he says, are they servants of Christ? Talking about the false apostles. I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with great labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and i toil and hardships through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst and often without food and cold and exposure." And apart from all those things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So there's just kind of a peek at Paul laying out, uh, kind of in more detail, what, what, what we have here with all of our afflictions, all of our, our sufferings uh, that we go through. And again, it does speak to Paul and Timothy and their trials, but it does definitely expend, extend that we can read this too. Um, to understand that it's the same God of comfort that comforts us in the midst of our affliction, which He's going to drive that too, to the uh, to the Corinthians when He kind of goes into the second person plural, for them. All right. So the the comfort starts from God. He is the source
0: of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. We then in turn comfort others with that same comfort that we first received so that the comfort just overflows it begins with god it brings us to god right comforted by god that's how verse 4 ends then this as you pointed out already the the connection between affliction and comfort or suffering and comfort is made clear throughout this and what strikes me especially as you were reading there from second corinthians chapter 11 is that the comfort doesn't necessarily mean that the affliction goes away but actually comes alongside and exists there in the midst of the affliction and the, and the suffering. So, uh, verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, and this literally is translated in verse 5 as, For just as the, 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 the passion or the suffering of Christ abounds in us, thus on account of Christ also our comfort abounds. So, so it, it is kind of this sense that um, what I really think is this, this finds its center, not in me, but in, 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 the, in, in the meaning of my suffering, not in myself, but ultimately finds the center in Christ. And, and so we, we definitely take that to account to understand that, um, that we understand suffering, biblically speaking, through the suffering of Christ, which we then are made Partakers of. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. and that's and that's really um, important
0: because that means our sufferings aren't in vain. They're they're not meaningless,
1: right? And we're not alone in them, right? And I often find this is the case. Of how do you how do you talk to people about what their suffer? How why a Christian suffers, right? And, and and we can talk about suffering in in a bunch of different ways to trying kind to of explain why does God allow suffering. But a lot of those ways takes the cross right out of the picture, right? So mm-hmm. so I hear it often said, and maybe it's somewhat true, right? God allows suffering so that you know what good is. God allows you to be uncomfortable so that you know what it be, means to be comfort, comforted. But that takes the cross completely out of this. When we understand what Paul's talking about here as actually um, the passion of Christ, his suffering uh, abounds in us, uh, that we are made partakers of Christ and his suffering so that we are made partakers of the comfort that comes from his suffering. Um, uh, So everything kind of finds its place. Our affliction, our sin, our our, our, uh, suffering finds its place in what Christ has suffered and and suffered perfectly in our stead so that now whether we um, suffer or are comforted, uh, whether we're we're, um, facing the effects of sin uh, in our lives or not, We have the comfort that comes to us from God through the cross, through the forgiveness of sins, uh, by that grace and that peace that results from it, from God.
0: Hmm. Now, as Paul continues into verse 6... He, he now says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. So the Apostles' affliction, Paul's affliction, is for the comfort and salvation of the Corinthians. And also the Apostles' comfort is for the comfort of the Corinthians. So if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Help us into
1: verse 6. Right, notice Paul never says, uh, he's always directing it to their comfort. All these things are for their comfort. He never says, this is for our affliction, <laughs> or for your affliction, I should say. Right. Uh, uh, everything is being directed toward that final goal of comfort. And and I think you mentioned it before, but it bears repeating. When we're talking about this comfort that Paul's, Paul's talking about, it is not the comfort of being taken out of uncomfortable situations. It's not the comfort of body uh, or of mind. It's not not the comfort of idealism. Uh, for the Corinthians, that they're going to like progress out of any sort of hardship or trial that they have. But again, this is the comfort that comes from the cross. The comfort that we're comforted by God is that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. We have that grace and that peace with God. And so now we tie this into verse six when he says, and he's going to get to that in seven, but in six when he says, you know, if if we, if, if Paul and Timothy, you know, these kind of leaders for you, are are uh, uh, are afflicted. It is actually for your comfort. Now Lenski notes on this is that this first phrase is objective—the comforting and salvation of God which works. The second is subjective, uh, the comforting which works in endurance and in, uh, in, in perseverance in us, so that we hold amid afflictions and in this way reach the goal, final salvation. Now notice he puts that in with this one. He does. He says comfort and your salvation. Salvation there being the forgiveness of sins and the ultimate, not salvation out of the, uh, um, a temporary difficulty, but ultimate salvation in Christ Jesus. But if they're afflicted, if Paul and Timothy, uh, who are you know, the kind of the leaders uh, of this church are afflicted, they should be very, Corinthians should be comforted in their afflictions to know that, 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 that those, this apostle of Christ is not in a comfortable situation either. So it's for their comfort. Um, but if they are also comforted, then it also is for 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 uh, the Corinthians comfort as they bear through these afflictions. They patiently suffer these afflictions, and that really does come to a head then with what Paul then then relates in in verse seven.
0: So we take us into verse seven, then Pastor Wargal. We've got about three sure. and a half minutes left here. Verse seven says, oh. "Our hope for you is unshaken." <laughs> for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Help us to wrap things up.
1: Right. So kind of, everything kind of comes to a head here, I think. And uh, uh, he's kind of been working through all of these. Uh, it's almost like uh, crossing wires or exegesis, exegetes, call called these like chiasms, right? Where we're seeing things starting and kind of finding a center and then moving out. But, but everything's kind of brought into this unity in a hope that Paul has the hope of Paul and Timothy for their readers. This is, this is what they're driving at. And he says, our hope for you is, the ESV translates it as unshaken, but it is, it's a certain thing. It's a certain hope. Um, it can be relied upon uh, and we're not going to be disappointed in it. And, and that is that our, the suffering of Paul, of the Corinthians, uh, finds its hope, finds its, its, its place, again, in that suffering and death of Christ. So he says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. There is this confidence that Paul can say that we're all suffering together. The, the, the word there is uh, the same word we get koinonia, right? It's this fellowship of suffering, which we, we don't really have that as a catch slogan for the church when we talk about koinonia, right? But it is that we suffer together. I mean, that's what the word compassion means, right? Uh, passion, the word passion's in there. Uh, and it's the, the passion together, that, that we're, we're suffering together. But we suffer together because of that unity. We're one holy Christian church. Paul, Timothy, the Corinthians, all those united as with uh, God as our father, Christ as our brother, uh, who have been crucified with Christ, uh, buried and raised again. We're daily going about this business of being crucified. We're being uh, buried. We're being uh, refined uh, and all these things, but with the hope that our present circumstances um, uh, are not worth comparing with what is to come. Uh, that we have this hope that we can rely on that's firm because, again, it's sources in Christ. It's in the cross. It's th- This comfort comes from God and has been promised and guaranteed to uh, to his children, to the Corinthians, to Paul, to Timothy, to us, that we can find our comfort Objectively in what God has given, which is again why this text then doesn't just relate to Paul, the Corinthians, or the saints in Achaia, but to every Christian everywhere. This this passage um, uh, is in the Pastoral Care Companion, the books that pastors use uh, in several places. But I've found I've used it quite a bit at bedsides, uh, hospital beds, people who are suffering, and it's it's so wonderful to be able to to to, to read this to people who are experiencing afflictions, and desire bodily comfort, and say, yeah, God might give that to you. That would be great. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for strength. But what we're talking about here is actually what you are comforted with even now, and that is Christ suffered for you. He died. He is risen, and there's your comfort. God does not hold your sins against you, and what you're going through now, God knows, and he listens, and he hears, and He might grant you relief in this life, but you have the hope that is so reliable, that is unshaken, that you remain His child, and that He's going to bring you through this to everlasting life and, and, and completely restore all things.
0: Pastor Sam Wurgow is pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. He's been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1-7. to 7. Pastor Wurgow, thanks for being our guest today. I'll always enjoy it. Comfort, comfort ye my people. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah and now through the Apostle Paul. The same comfort is given, the comfort that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Second Corinthians, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.